Hi, and welcome to Rambling About Greek Mythology, a lax podcast where I just talk about a lot of Greek mythology. Today's episode, we'll be asking to talk about Dionysus, to talk about who this god is, what his origin stories are, and some major and minor events he was involved in. So, who is Dionysus? Dionysus isn't really too complicated of a god, which is pretty nice. Um, I feel like when gods are more complicated, it requires a lot more to think about, but it's pretty straightforward. So his general domain is over wine, intoxication, and pleasure, uh, which are all very clearly connected. That sort of area also explains his depiction in art as often being that of a young man to represent like the livelihood. Though in older ancient art, he was actually depicted as this bearded, mature man. So it's interesting how art changes over time in the depiction of Dionysus. He is also fittingly described as the joy for mortals by Homer and he of many delights by Hesiod, which further emphasizes those effects of wine and how it acts as an escape from the hard life of humans. That's a big thing to kind of remember is the humans are in the Iron Age, right, in mythology. And so that sort of tough life that they're leading, wine is a sort of escape. And that general pleasure seeking is sort of an escape. His only real overlaps with various other deities include the Orphic Zagreus, you might know the name from the hit game Hades, which I will mention again briefly later, the Roman Liber and Bacchus. Bacchus, B-A-C-C-H-U-S, is actually a name used in both Greek and Roman texts, so it is like the more neutral name to use if you were to try referring him as like a Greek or Roman deity, depending on the context. Um, and is what usually his other name is in uh, Roman myth, and the Egyptian Osiris. These associations are not so much of mixed identity or origins for him, but rather just conflations and equivalences of Dionysus and other religions. Uh, Like, if you remember with Artemis, with Hecate and Selene, kind of having different parts of the moon and kind of having overlaps and stuff is the distinction I'm drawing here. So the animals Dionysus was often associated with were the panther and like slash leopard and tiger, which do show up in some stories of his. He was also really consistently depicted with ivy and grapevine, the latter of which really makes sense if we think about how wine is produced. Another big thing associated with Dionysus was the thyrsus, which was this staff that was tipped with a pine cone. It was sort of like his trident, uh, so to speak. Dionysus was also often accompanied by an entourage of Selene, or satyrs. The distinction between them is kind of vague. Selene seemed to have this more sort of like mature, wiser aspect. Um, but I mean, it, or like maybe they have a little more like they're associated with horse parts as opposed to goat part. Um, but I don't think the distinction is like super meaningful. Uh, and in his entourage were also the Minads, who were his f- female followers. The term for this entourage was called the Theosos. Uh, I think that's just a cool name. So Dionysus, interestingly enough, probably due to his associations with wine, was a kind of common god in that almost every Greek city celebrated him, and there was no one city that was super sacred to him, unlike most deities. So his origins as part of the pantheon is super neat. Scholarship originally made him out to be some foreign god from maybe Thrace or Phrygia based on the location of his stories and how he wasn't really so divine as others and had his divinity often rejected. 
But then later discovery revealed that he's one of the OG Greek deities that is attested like in linear B scripts. So that's actually very interesting because, you know, this whole scholarship concluded one thing and it just very much did not line up with what turns out to be the case. He also might have been known as Eleuther in the past, but that isn't really confirmed. It's just this other god who's briefly mentioned, who's a son of Dionysus, or sorry, son of Zeus, and seems to kind of follow along a similar enough path that like the potential conflation is there. The final bit, uh, you know, on Dionysus is always about, you know, the name of the god. And in this case, there's a bunch of like supposing. Dionysus might mean son of Zeus. Uh, so Zeus's name originally, like etymologically, is more like Dios, um, is what it comes from. So it could be that that Nisus part is like some random obscure lost word for son. Um, but potentially it isn't son, and it's actually derived from Mount Nysa, which is one of the locations where he was raised. And so that's kind of the idea. Um, I don't really have a strong lean in any one direction, uh, mostly because neither one is particularly appealing or something I really care for. Uh, so yeah, that's just kind of there for food for thought. Uh, you know, name origins are kind of hard, and sometimes they reveal stuff, sometimes they have no concrete conclusion to them. So let's talk about his origin stories in terms of Greek myth. You know, how does he come about? So his birth story is actually a really wacky one, and perhaps one of the most wacky ones alongside Athena's. Which one you deem more wacky is up to you after you hear it. So it starts off in Thebes when Zeus slept with Semele, a daughter of Cadmus and Harmonia. Seemingly this was more consensual, or at least the way the story is presented, it sounds like it. There doesn't seem to be much of an indication otherwise. Hera naturally heard about the fact Semele was pregnant and was not happy. So she took on the form of Semele's old nurse, Beroe, and approached her, being like, was your lover really Zeus? Semele felt the need to prove herself, so she took up Beroe, in quotations, uh, as advice of asking Zeus to appear to her in his true form. Zeus, prior to being asked this, had unwittingly agreed to grant her, you know, any boon um, that she asked for, and that was the one. So, you know, Zeus is definitely like, uh, you know, you want to run that back? Maybe ask a different one. And she's like, no, no, you need to prove it to me. So he takes on his true form and burns her to ashes. Uh, yeah, uh, very, very uh, interesting co conclusion to that. So as she died, Zeus quickly snatched the developing Dionysus from her womb and stitched him into a gash cut in his own thigh. And Dionysus grew there until he was born. Yes, he was born from Zeus's thigh. This is kind of why he's given the epithet meaning twice born, or one of the reasons why is that he, you know, was born from Semele and then born from Zeus's thigh. After this birth, he was variously said to have been raised by Aino and Athamas, and later by the nymphs of Mount Nysa, that mountain which we previously mentioned as potentially the origin for part of his name. So yeah, that's kind of the background on Dionysus. That birth story is quite the thing. Um, we've kind of characterized him, so we can now talk about a couple stories. So the first major story will be the first of three, discussing the rejection of Dionysus's divinity. So there are these Tyrrhenian pirates, perhaps these folk, they're folks from Italy, who found this young boy on an island who was drunk but looked quite divine. 
one of the sailors, Akoetes, was like, nah, bruh, I don't, I don't think this is a good choice. This is a god, I think. Let's just avoid this. Uh, but they don't listen and bring him onto the ship. The boy, which is Dionysus, asks to be brought to Naxos. But when they refuse to sail in that direction, Dionysus realizes they are not listening to him. All of a sudden, the ship came to a halt. Ivy began to wind itself all over. Tigers, lynxes, and panthers suddenly appeared on the ship, and all the sailors barring Akoetes were turned into dolphins. Akoetes, as a result, became a priest of Dionysus and sometimes the leader of his entourage. This is a less violent example of the sort of, like, result of people's arrogance and lack of reverence that leads to their punishment by Dionysus. Um, next two stories get a lot worse though, uh, but I just wanted to, you know, show this as like the first one because it's a notable story for him and it shows kind of, you know, denying his divinity is really not a wise choice and is kind of only like a disastrous decision for you. So this next story is about the foolish king Lycurgus from Thrace. This story is neat in respect to the fact that it gets more and more gory over time. I'm not one for gore necessarily, but like it's cool to see the progression of a story get more violent over time. Like you have an old version of it and you have new versions of it and you can compare chronologically what's taking place. So the story, the base story, is that Lycurgus rejected Dionysus' divinity and as a result got clapped. Uh, Lycurgus is this king of Thrace, or king in Thrace. So according to the Iliad, Lycurgus pursued Dionysus and his nurses from Mount Nysa, swinging at them with an ox goad, causing Dionysus to dive into the sea with fear and take refuge with Thetis. This caused Zeus to make Lycurgus blind and be hated by all the gods. So that might sound bad, but it gets much worse. According to Apollodorus, an author much, much later, the chasing and all that happened, right? That story stays the same. But Lycurgus also imprisoned the Mynads and satyrs. Then they were magically freed and Dionysus drove him mad, causing him to kill his own son Dryas because he thought he was hacking at a grapevine. This caused the land to be barren, and Lycurgus had to be killed to save it, so he was torn apart by wild horses. Finally, by a later author, Hyginus, the story goes as, follow, as follows. Lycurgus got super drunk, and then tried to rape his own mother, before killing his wife and his son, and then chopping off his own foot, thinking he was cutting a vine again. Then, he was just devoured by some panthers. It's really, like, absurd how the story keeps progressing and somehow getting more and more violent than the previous time and more and more just, like, holy, like, what is happening? Um, and, you know, some wacky stuff, but it's a really good indication of what happens if you cross Dionysus. He's the god of wine and frenzy. Like, you will go mad and it's just GG. You do not really have much of a way out. So I think that's a really interesting thing to see and again i i think that you know going from just blind and then just kind of passing away to being torn apart by animals and then you know murdering your own family to murdering more of your own family and committing other crimes in the process and then mutilating yourself like i don't know it's really interesting how violent it decided to 
keep progressing through the stories that got passed down. The next story is our final instance of um, like people getting clapped by Dionysus for denying his divinity. This time it's the Theban king Pentheus, probably the most famous example of all the stories. Maybe that has some debate. So you would think a man from where Dionysus was born would be a little more welcoming, but I guess not. I think the logic for Pentheus, uh, you know, to deny Dionysus' divinity is that all of the women of Thebes at the time are like in a frenzy on Mount Cithiron and have disappeared. And this is the machinations of the cult of Dionysus. So Pentheus views it as the cult being super dangerous and, you know, a threat to his city. Um, I don't think it was most logical, especially because everyone was telling him not to cross him and we're like bro just accept his divinity if you don't like you really shouldn't he's a god you know what happens when you defy gods and as per usual people don't listen so uh he decides to imprison dionysus or potentially Aquates. it kind of depends on um your version of the story but the chains of his captive miraculously fall off Finally, Dionysus drives him mad and dresses him up in women's clothes before taking him to Mount Cithiron to spy on all the women who are in a frenzy there. Dionysus then calls for the women to punish Pentheus for spying on the dances. This is a side note, and I think we've talked about this before, um, but mysteries are really, like, important and the idea of them being a mystery is really important they have secret cult practices that you are not supposed to be revealing and stuff so that's what's going on here is he's like hey by witnessing this he can reveal the secrets so the minads and women all driven mad by dionysus see pentheus as a mountain lion cub and kind of view him as a threat and all dash at him to tear him down from the tree they were in before tearing him apart he tries to beg for mercy and get his own mother Agave and aunts Aino and Autonoe to recognize him, but they just murder him. Uh, so his, aunt, you know, all the women of Thebes includes his relatives. So they all murder him. And the story really tragically ends with Agave returning to Thebes with Pentheus's head in her hand, boasting she had killed the mountain lion, like, you know, by her bare hands, before Cadmus helps her realize she was holding her own son's head. So I think the takeaway of the story beyond, you know, don't mess with the divine, look what happens when you mess with the divine, be a little smarter. If you don't want to be murdered by your own mother, just accept the Dionysus as a divinity. I think it's a really, really straightforward conclusion and a really great takeaway. The next story uh, I wanted to talk about is just, is much, much less violent, pretty much no violence. Um, and it's just a neat story that I thought was really cool. So it's actually about Dionysus retrieving Semele from the underworld. It's a rare sort of story and is just cool. Uh, not many people get retrieved from the underworld. It's often a failed attempt. Uh, so this is like, I think probably the only divinity that retrieves someone from the underworld that's not like a... Asclepius reviving someone I think that's slightly different in that his thing was like a medicine thing not just going there picking up the person and leaving because that's seemingly how it worked and something you could do so Dionysus wanted to recover his mother Semele so he went to the Alcyonian lake it's one of the entrances to the underworld this nearby shepherd who's variously named Prosimnus, Polymnus, or Hypolipnus 
offered Dionysus to row him to the middle of the lake where the entrance was since it was dangerous to swim in the lake. In turn, Dionysus was supposed to agree to sleep with the guy. Um, So Dionysus was like, okay, sure, I'm down for that. So he goes to the underworld, retrieves his mother Semele, and comes back and finds that, you know, our Prosimnus Polymnus Hypolipnus is dead. Um, So that story kind of ends there. I won't really go too much into what happens post-fact, mostly because it, I don't know, that probably just isn't something I should generally be uh, talking about, though I talk about most things here. Uh, So yeah, some interesting stuff happens. Um, I guess I'll not preterate too much. Uh, Like a weird indirect necrophilia thing takes place. I'll I'll leave it there. Um, so he comes back anyway, and Semele gets renamed to Thione. It's interesting. Uh, so seemingly this renaming is really common for when, or not really common. I don't want to say that because that implies that it occurs a bunch. But in the two instances it has happened, both people are renamed um, and both people are immortalized. So there's something about being brought back to the living um that you need to have your name change, and then often they become divinity. I don't know if this is related to, like, uh, an idea of, like, identity and stuff and worrying about that recognition or what exactly. It's a little unclear because, you know, Heracles, Hercules gets uh, made divine and... He has like a mortal version of himself still in the underworld, and then he's also divine. So little strange how it works. But either way, the story is mostly because I appreciate Dionysus going and getting his mother and immortalizing her after she got completely burned to a crisp um, for trying to figure out who, uh, or not trying to figure out, but to rather prove who his father was. Uh, the last major story we'll be talking about is Dionysus's connection to Zagreus. Zagreus is a god worshipped in the mystery religion of Orphism. Uh, this story is pretty much entirely because I think it's cool. It's a separate little thing. And also, hey, Hades, recent video game that has Zagreus as the main character. Kind of neat. So the story goes that Zeus laid with Persephone, which is already a super cursed start to the story, in the form of a snake. And she bore a child named Zagreus. Zeus wanted Zagreus to be his heir, but as always, Hera had other plans. Hera persuaded the Titans to kill Zagreus. So they distracted him with toys and then tore him apart, eating all of him except his heart, which Athena saved and brought to Zeus. Somehow, I really am not exactly following what takes place here. Zeus manages to like refashion the heart in the body of Semele and then go through the whole Semele birth story for Dionysus, and then the rest takes places, and that's kind of the two-birth system. It's really strange. I don't really know. I don't really want to think about how you refashion the heart inside someone's body, so we're just going to leave it at that. But he does not replace Semele's heart. Yeah, that's not happening. So I'm not really clear on what happened there. A little weird, a little strange, but whatever. So This sort of story and explanation seems wacky at first and perhaps gives some better credence to Dionysus' name being son of Zeus, Um, but the Orphics believed in the transmigration of souls, so the sort of rebirth pathing isn't too strange, Um, or really somehow they believed, you know, you can just preserve hearts and reform people. I think it has to to be kind of a reflection of the soul uh, moving from one to another. Um, 
it's also, you know, with the snake, with Zeus taking the form of the snake, um, which is known for its longevity and like the mysterious coming back alive and all this stuff. Snakes are associated with a lot of spooky things. Um, it's all rather connected. Uh, but yeah, as I said, I mostly mentioned this because it's like a notable alternative pathing to Dionysus, which seems neat. And then also because video game, pretty cool connection um, for Greek myth and stuff. That reminds me, I recently watched The Blood of Zeus. That animation was horrible. That's all I have to say. Anyway, final story. So the final story of the day is another instance of Dionysus actually doing good, but it has an unfortunate twist. So this farmer Icarius and his daughter Erigone welcomed Dionysus to Attica. Attica is the region where Athens is. And Dionysus, as a result, gave them the gift of the vine branch and taught them how to make wine. Icarius was a really nice fellow, and, you know, he wanted to share this boon he had been given, so he offered wine to a group of shepherds to, you know, spread the wealth. The shepherds didn't drink it watered, though, so it wasn't diluted, and then they got really, really tipsy. And so they thought, you know, they were being poisoned or something, because usually how wine is consumed is it's there's some part wine, some part water to make sure the effects aren't super strong. Um, though, why would you drink wine without dilute? Like, why would you care about the dilution or not? I don't know. Like, wine doesn't taste good anyway. Maybe the maybe the dilution is like the whole thing to save the taste. I don't know. Anyways, they get super tipsy. They think they're getting poisoned, so they club him to death. And then they bury his body under a tree. Eventually, you know, his daughter, who's still existing, Erigone, went looking for her dad with her dog Myra. And when she found his grave, she hanged herself from the tree in grief. The dog Myra also tossed themselves into a well. Uh, So Dionysus, you know, heard about this, found out about this, and became so angered uh, that he drove the girls of Athens mad and made them hang themselves until the Athenians finally consulted the Delphic Oracle and realized what had happened. So then they sought out the murderous shepherds and hanged them and instituted a festival in honor of Erigone. Dionysus also went on to immortalize Icarius as the constellation Boötes, Erigone as Virgo, and Myra as Canis Minor. Canis Minor. This is a very heartbreaking story, uh, right? It's like no one really does any wrong and then gets wronged and, you know, just it's like a super tragic story. But it's also a nice reflection of Dionysus and how he's caring for his followers and the people who treat him well. And that's a really, really consistent thing is, uh, you know, in Greek culture, uh, at least ancient Greek culture, I'm not to like say modern culture doesn't do this, but caring for strangers and welcoming people and taking care of them and hospitality is really important. And it's really valued and really um, cared for. So this being uh, a thing is like a good example of just how much it's valued. So that's kind of it for the stories. Um, a mix of Dionysus really just destroying people and Dionysus also being rather kind. Um, but overall, I think the thing to understand about Dionysus is that a lot of his stories do involve, like a lot of his major stories do involve a general rejection of him and sort of questioning of his status. And that's really interesting when one considers how long he's been in the Divine Pantheon, right? As I mentioned, he's been in it for a very long time, one of the OGs. And it kind of makes you wonder if maybe the stories are a little more symbolic. Um, What I mean by that is, is like, you know, intoxication and madness that these people experience. 
maybe is just more a result of wine consumption that wasn't diluted and then they went on a frenzy, right? So there's a lot of things where they'll consume wine and then do something extremely absurd. And then it's like, oh, well, it was because of Dionysus, right? Dionysus drove the person mad. That's like a lot of how these uh, religions work in terms of ascribing the punishment or result to the divine association rather than just the thing, like the substance or thing itself, right? We It's just kind of how it works. Um, so I'm wondering if like, you know, he clearly is a figure that's depicted, but I think there's a lot of ways to view that these stories are more of a reflection or not like a hard line, but like it seems to be like a fair bit reflection of, you know, the power of wine and kind of rejecting it in the frenzy and kind of like a combat of like the state versus like and like organized culture versus the more frenzy, the more chaotic, free nature of Dionysus and his entourage and his just uh, being. Um, so I think that's just a really interesting thing to think about when thinking about his stories. Anyway, uh, so with that, that's the conclusion of this episode. Next episode, we'll focus on Hades, talking about who he is, what are his origins, and some stories he's involved in, so we can understand the Greek god of the dead, not death. I'll clarify that next time as to why. Um, as always, please let me know if you have any comments, questions, or concerns at ragm1928 at gmail.com. I am always more than willing to answer. Um, and with that, thanks so much for listening and uh, take care.